So yeah, uh, Daniel 2 is an interesting chapter, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, it's a long chapter, and so I'm not going to read all of it, otherwise we'd be here forever, um, and so I'm going to jump through the passage and highlight some things, and so I'll have the scripture up here on the screen at times uh, when I am wanting to read directly from the text, but this week uh, I just started thinking about how um, we're a year away from like November 2024, right? And we can already feel the tension building uh, with indictments and special counsels, right? And uh, we got a taste of it this week uh, in Ohio with issue one, right? Uh, I uh, had a friend in the city of Canton who went to vote Tuesday, and the lady told him that they had already doubled the amount of voters they had in November of 2022, and that was a governor election for the state of Ohio. And yet that precinct had twice as many people come through for an issue. And so as we can feel this tension starting to build, and it's just going to keep building and keep building and keep building, I was reflecting upon that uh, this week. And what does God's word have to say about that, right? And how, as believers, where we should find ourselves in these discussions. And today, what I'm really going to focus on is what our overall attitude should be. And I think Daniel 2 speaks to that. But first, one more story to kind of give context to where I'm going to go. Freshman in high school. Uh, and taking world history class with Mr. Hopkins. Mr. Hopkins was fun. Uh, we always, we watched a lot of movies. Uh, and I don't say that like in the, uh, in a negative sense, like he would do a lesson on Egypt and then we would watch Disney's Hercules. You know, like we would do fun things like that. But he'd talk about all these different kingdoms, right? The, the Greece Empire, the the Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the, the ancient Egyptians when they built pyramids. And, and he, we would study them, and then we'd get to the end, and he would say something along the lines of, like, you know, the Egyptian Empire lasted still in hundreds of years, thousands of years. He'd be like, hmm, America's only 200 years old. I wonder how long the American Empire's going to last. And I remember being 15 years old, and that being the first time that I had ever thought in my mind that America might not last forever. I grew up in Indiana, the, the heartland of America, right? And America is the greatest thing to ever come, right, in the heartland. Why wouldn't it be around forever? And so again, as we think about this, what does God's word have to say about empires? What does God's word have to say about kingdoms? And then how should we feel when we step into a voting booth? Or how should we feel when we watch debates on TV or turn the news on at night? Right? We're going to hear it at least once. I can guarantee at least once. And we could probably do it over and under on how many times we're going to hear it over the next 15 months. But November 2024 is going to be for the soul of America. Right? We hear that every four years. This is for the soul of America, right? And so we have this idea of fear that plays into our elections, right? Vote for me because I'm the good guy in this, 
vote, don't vote for that person because they will lead to the downfall of the nation. How could you not have anxiety when that's the message we hear? But yet, what I learned in world history was this truth. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Right? So as believers, how do we orient ourselves into that world? So let's begin. Daniel chapter 2 begins real simple. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had many dreams. His mind was disturbed and he suffered from insomnia. Um, I don't really remember a lot of my dreams, but the few I do typically follow this pattern, and it's me uh, living in the zombie apocalypse, uh, and I do, I do a fairly decent job fighting the zombies off, and then right when I'm trapped, and I know that I've met the end, I wake up, right? Um, and so... Um, but I can tell you this, that I wake up from that. Sometimes there is this concept where in the dream I realize that I'm dreaming and this is pretend. And there are other times I wake up and I'm in a little bit more of a cold sweat because I didn't quite understand that. Uh, but even when I wake up in that cold sweat, I turn around and go right back to sleep. It doesn't keep me up. It doesn't disturb me that much. But yet here we have Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king, right? That he has such a disturbing dream, he cannot go back to sleep. Think about that for a second, right? It has him up for the night. And so he does what any king in this context would have done. He calls in his magicians, his sorcerers, his, his men of wisdom, and he asks them to come in and interpret the dream. But Nebuchadnezzar gives a catch this time. He says, I want you to tell me what the dream is. So not only do you need to tell me what it means, but tell me what the content is in the first place. Because he's trying to see who has true wisdom. So what would happen is, is these wise men, these magicians, they had books that had dreams recorded and what certain images and certain symbols meant, right? And so you tell them about the zombie apocalypse and they would go back and they'd look up what do zombies mean in a dream, right? And then they take other pieces from your dream and they piece it together and they give you an interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want that this time, right? He wants to know some more truth than what some people wrote thousands of years ago, right? And so he asked them to say, tell him what the dream is. Don't regurgitate someone else's interpretation. And so what he's asking for here is for them to tap into a power that they don't always display, that they might not always have available to them. And so this is the impossible. But it also shows just how disturbed Nebuchadnezzar is in this dream, right? That the typical interpretation, the, interp the typical way of going about things just won't do it this time. And so he gives them this threat. Can't do it. I'll kill you all. All right? This is what happens in a government ruled by a king. Uh, you're subject to the whims of the king. We don't live in a monarchy, right? We live in a democracy. We have checks and balances. 
But again, we still kind of live by the whims of our rulers, right? They're the ones that dictate what we are concerned about, what we're worried about. Let's just go back to this week. I wonder how many people realized what it is they were voting for when it came to issue one. Because issue one was about how do we pass amendments in our Constitution, which has some fairly practical implications for some things that are coming down the line. But all I ever heard was we were voting on whether or not abortion would be legal or not in the state of Ohio. That's not what the vote was about Tuesday, although again, there were some implications with that on the line, right? So why did we get worked up? Because our leaders, their whims and the things they think about and the things they want to push can dictate what happens in our lives. I don't want them to, though. And no, I'm not suggesting anarchy and overthrowing the government, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I don't want to have to turn on the news and that determine what mood I'm in. I don't want to read the news and then maybe be bad or, or maybe be good or be excited or be brought low, right? I don't want my life driven by fear. I don't want my life to be intimidated by people who are voting on procedures and rules and laws. I want to have a little bit more security in that. I want to have a little bit more anchor in my life. Right? And so, back into the story. The king and the wise men, they go back and forth for a while. And what the king does is he sees what they're doing. And you're, you're stalling for time. Because you can't figure this out. And so the wise men say this to the king. There is no man on earth who is able to disclose the king's secret. For no king, regardless of his position and power, has ever requested such a thing from any magician, astrologer, or wise man. What the king is asking is too difficult, and no one exists who can disclose it to the king except for the gods, but they don't live among mortals. In other words, this can't be done, what you are asking for. We can't give you the interpretation. We also can't give you what the dream actually is, all right? But only one thing can do this. This has got to come from the supernatural. It's got to come from the gods, and they're not here. And yet, I'm left with this question. Why can't these men ask the gods what, to, what the dream is? Why don't they have that connection? Why don't they have that relationship? Why don't they have that source to their, uh, uh, that power source in their lives? And so what these men are saying, and I don't know what their religion was, I don't know who it is they worshipped, what they practiced, but what they are saying is, is that their religion and their faith in this moment of crisis can't help. It can't give them what they want, and therefore it can't give the king what they want, and therefore it's going to cost them their lives. And so this angers Nebuchadnezzar. He commands that everyone be put to death, and this is when we first get introduced to Daniel. Because now Daniel's a part of this group of people. We don't know where Daniel's been this whole time, but now we finally get introduced to him. And Daniel hears what's happening. He hears that his life is in danger, and he also has three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are 
uh, pretty famous in Scripture, right? And they realize that their lives are on the line now because of the failure of the other wise men. And so what happens is, is Daniel goes to the captain of the guard named Arioch, and he says, make me an appointment with the king. Now, that's pretty bold to begin with, but then when you look at the context, it's even more bold because what happens is, is Daniel gets an appointment set with the king to talk about this dream, and then Daniel goes to his friends and says, now let's pray. Wow, it's not like Daniel's like, oh, I know what the dream is, and I know what the interpretation is. Give me an eyes for the king, because I'll be honest, that's what I would have done. I would have found out what the answers were first, and then I would have said, okay, I'll show up this date and time, right? But Daniel does all of that. He sets up the date and time without anything, and so he prays, and then we are told this is what happens. Then in a night vision, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. So Daniel praised the God of heaven, saying, Let the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes times and seasons, deposing some kings and establishing others. He gives wisdom to the wise. He imparts knowledge to those with understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light resides with him. O God of my fathers, I acknowledge and glorify you for you have bestowed wisdom and power on me. Now you have enabled me to understand what we requested from you, for you have enabled us to understand the king's dilemma. And so in this hymn of praise from Daniel, we see where the true power lies. It's in God, right? We see that God is the God who has history under control. We still don't know what the dream is yet, right? We haven't read that far ahead yet. We don't know what the dream is, but the him alludes to it when Daniel says that God is the one who is involved in the removal and the establishment of king. God's the only one that has the power to do this. The wise men have failed. The dream interpreters have failed. The, the pagan worship has failed. But Daniel and his friends' reliance upon Yahweh has saved the day. Daniel comes before the king and says, don't execute anyone. I have the interpretation. And so notice that even through the wisdom of God, Daniel saves his co-workers, right? Who don't have the faith in God, right? Who don't display the same trust, right? And the same belief, but Daniel still saves their lives. He doesn't say, well, let's get rid of them and just save me because I'm the only one who knows what I'm doing here, right? But he says, don't execute anyone. And he makes the dream and interpretation known. But Daniel says this to the king first. He says, The mystery that the king is asking about is such that no wise men, astrologers, magicians, or diviners can possibly disclose it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the times to come. And so Daniel, again, he He's making sure before he tells the dream that he gives all glory to God. That this isn't something Daniel's come up with. This isn't Daniel's wisdom, right? He only knows this because God is his source. God has revealed this. This is God's doing. 
And so what is it that God's revealing to Nebuchadnezzar through this dream? And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was, and it's the first time we get to uh, see what the dream is. And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to sum it up to you. But Nebuchadnezzar sees this image, the head of gold. It's a chest and arms of silver. It's middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and, and feet that are mixed of iron and clay. And so it's this person made of different metals. And Daniel says that in the dream that this stone comes that's supernaturally made and it smashes this statue to pieces. And that the pieces are blown away by the wind. There's no more traces left of this statue, of this image. And then the stone that destroyed it grows into a big mountain and fills the whole earth. What does that even mean, right? And so Daniel gives this interpretation for Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom is the head of gold in the image, right? And the other body parts are kingdoms to come after him. Of course, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is the head of gold means that it's the best kingdom, right? Right? There's, there's some uh, politics being displayed here, right? Well, your kingdom's the best kingdom, and all the ones that come after are just inferior metals, all right? Um, but the thing is, is that what Daniel, uh, um, the, the, the thing that Daniel really heart, uh, focuses in on, sorry, is what the interpretation and what the dream says about the stone. And this is what Daniel says. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed. In a kingdom that will not be left to another people, it will break in pieces and bring about the demise of all these kingdoms. And so Daniel says that when this statue gets destroyed, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, you have quite a while, right? You're the head of gold. There's all these kingdoms that come after you that aren't near as good. That another kingdom will take over. A supernatural kingdom, right? A kingdom that will last forever, and, and later on we begin to call this the kingdom of God, and Jesus preaches about the kingdom of God coming. And so Nebuchadnezzar hears this interpretation, and first off, Nebuchadnezzar's happy because it doesn't affect his life one bit at all, right? Just like any other politician, worried about the present, don't worry about the future. Anyways, that's enough. I'll be done now with my snark. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar, right, is, is satisfied with this. And so he honors Daniel and the interpretator, Daniel for his interpretation and explanation of the dream. So now Nebuchadnezzar is at peace. One, his kingdom's not in jeopardy, but two, now he knows what this dream means, right? He has answers. And so he no longer has anything. And I wonder this morning if that isn't maybe a little bit of a lesson for us, right? We can get into all the different kingdoms that are represented in that statue. Let me tell you, there are books and books and books and books and books written about who each of those kingdoms are and whether or not those kingdoms are still to come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's sometimes getting lost in the details. But... Think about this for a second. There was a king who had this image of 
essentially world history, right? And he wouldn't tell anyone what the dream was. And yet God could reveal that dream to someone and then explain to that person what that dream meant. God is the author of history. God has history under control. And here's what he's done in Daniel 2. He's told us where the future is headed. That a supernatural kingdom will come. That will last forever. Right? That will last forever. And since we know where the future is headed, we don't need to have fear. We can have peace. We can feel secure. We can have trust. When I look upon the political landscape of America, it's, it's ruled by fear. And the reason why it's ruled by fear is because none of our leaders have any idea of where this they never have and never will. But here's the thing. I serve a God who does know where they're heading towards Him. It's heading towards Him. And so we can pass this law or not pass that law. We can build walls or we can tear walls down. We can get involved in wars or try to avoid wars. And I'm not saying that these aren't things as people we shouldn't be concerned about. We shouldn't take positions on, right? We shouldn't want certain outcomes from. I'm not saying that at all. But at the end of the day, the stone is still going to come and destroy the kingdoms of the world and grow into a large that supernatural kingdom is still going to come. And so because of that, I have hope and, that, and I have assurance that no matter what may happen in this world, my God still sits on the throne. And so I have peace in the present. I'm not going to be rash. I'm not going to be driven by fear or the unknown because whatever may happen next, my God is still in so I think back to being 15 and hearing that question, how long will the American empire last? And here's the thing. I don't need to be concerned by that because you know what history tells me? There will come a point in time where the American empire will end. That's history. And if it doesn't end due to human history, it will end when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom forever. See, America, in our eyes, might be an empire. But in God's eyes, it's just an episode. Just an episode. And so I can rest peacefully in the present, knowing that history is headed toward a kingdom that can't be destroyed. So one more illustration. All right? I love sports. And um, one of the interesting things about sports is you don't know what's going to happen, right? And so if you root for a team, right, and your identity is tied to that team way more than it should be, um, not talking about myself, though, um, anxiety can fill you as the clock ticks down, right? Um, 
But what's interesting is, is God gave us the wisdom that we can now record things, right? And it's very interesting, like, if I don't know the outcome of a game but it's recorded, I am still so much more at peace watching that game than if I'm watching it live. And I think it's because something in my mind says this has already happened, right? Um, even if I don't know the outcome. But uh, I like to equate our lives to a game that's been recorded. And here's the thing. God has already told us what the outcome is going to be, right? So imagine a football game you're watching. You know your favorite team is going to win. Someone's already ruined that for you. And then the quarterback throws an interception in the first quarter. And imagine you getting angry over that. Wouldn't that be foolish? Because you know your team's going to win. They're going to overcome that mistake of the quarterback throwing an interception. And yet I see Christians who are angry, who are fearful. God's already told us how. We're screaming at the quarterback for throwing an interception, and what God is saying is, I don't care how many interceptions your quarterback throws, I'm still going to win. That we should be at peace. Doesn't mean we can't be upset about the mistake. But instead, we should be at peace because we know that the outcome has. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are in control. And so, Lord, I pray that that's just the thought that sets in with us this morning that you are in control. So, give us peace. Give us trust. Um, Father, the tension is just going to build from here until next November. And so as we hear things, as we see things, uh, Lord, let us have peace. Let us rest. Let us trust. Because we know that you are in control and nothing that happens over these next several months is going to take you off the throne. And you are who we belong to, first and foremost. So Father, give us security. Give us peace. In Jesus' name.